Welcome to the Food Therapy Podcast, where we talk honestly and openly about mental health, diet culture, BS, and food freedom. We're your co-hosts. I'm Brittany Modell, owner of Brittany Modell Nutrition and Wellness. And I'm Lauren Sharp, owner of Empower Method Nutrition. We are food freedom registered dietitians who have struggled with mental health, poor body image, and disordered eating behaviors. We are on a mission to dismantle diet culture, normalize conversations around mental health, and empower you as you heal your relationship with food and your body. Let's get talking. Welcome back to Food Therapy Podcast. Um, I'm Brittany. And I'm Lauren. Or welcome for your first time, potentially. Yeah, this might be your first time. And so this episode is extremely personal to both Lauren and I. Um, You know, part of the reason why we wanted to create this podcast was really to talk about our own mental health struggles and be able to have others relate to our struggles and hopefully pick up some tips along the way. And so today we're going to be talking about our mental health and what it was like for us during childhood and adolescence, adulthood, and where we are today as it relates to our mental health. So I will start by saying, you know, at least for me, I want to make sure, and I'm sure Lauren, you feel this way too, this is not professional guidance on how to deal with your mental health. We're not saying what you're doing is right or wrong. This is solely our story and how we want to share it. And so always seek out you know, a health professional or mental health guidance if that's what you feel you need. Yes. And obviously just to be relatable. And I think that was a big thing I struggled with in college was like, why am I like this? Why does nobody else have these experiences in terms of like anxiety and literally being afraid of the world? (laughs) Um, So to help people feel less alone, but obviously not to diagnose or heal anything. I also completely agree with that because I had friends in college who were like, I don't know how to help you. Like, I don't know what you're feeling so I can be there for you. But it's so hard when people don't understand what you're going through because I truly believe, at least for, you know, anxiety, if you don't have generalized anxiety, it is really hard to know what someone's talking about. We're not talking about the stomach ache before you go into an interview or about to get on stage and talk in front of a hundred people. Lauren, is there anything that you want to add in terms of why it felt so isolating? Yeah. I mean, it. it's really frustrating too when people like say things like, oh my God, I'm having a panic attack. And I'm like, do you even know what that actually feels like? Like, it's so irritating to me. And if they have, like, okay, fine. Because I definitely say it because I have had a panic attack. I've had many. Right. But if you haven't been diagnosed with panic disorder, like, can you stop saying that? Because it's annoying. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's it's very overgeneralized. And I think that anxiety is a very, like, almost trendy term these days. Um, like, Oh, I'm having anxiety. I'm having anxiety. And there's a big difference between actual like diagnosed anxiety versus like worry and like nervousness, right? Like it's a very normal human emotion to feel nervous before you get on a stage. It's very normal human emotion to be worried about, you know, going to college or big life changes, but the anxiety and like the extent of it, And having an actual anxiety disorder is just different in the sense of it's kind of similar with an eating disorder, right? Like the extent of Mm -hmm. it really is determined by how much it actually affects your daily life. So if you can go about your day and be like, oh, yeah, I'm a little nervous for this or I'm nervous for that versus like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get on this plane. I don't know if I'm going to be able to actually go through with this presentation without like passing out or whatever it is like that's where it kind of draws the line. Yes. And also going off of that, it's not even those events that necessarily triggers anxiety. So at least for me, like having generalized anxiety sometimes mean waking up feeling anxious and you have no idea why. You're like, I don't know why I feel anxious today. Nothing is happening, but there is this general sense of anxiety that is plaguing you. Mm -hmm. A hundred percent. Yeah. I think mine has definitely changed over the years. Um, to being Yeah, so I want to hear like so yeah. when did you first know like you had anxiety or did you even know it was anxiety? Yeah, no. Well, so when I was younger, I literally was attached at the hip to my mom like 
I had horrible separation anxiety. And like, obviously I was a little kid. I didn't know separation anxiety, but I hated the rain. Um, when I was at school, I would throw a tantrum if I had to go to school in the rain because one, I always like feared for my mom's life. I always like had this overwhelming fear that something would happen to her. Um, yes. And then two, we wouldn't get let outside um, after school for when we were done with school, we would have to go into the auditorium. And I hated that feeling. At the time, I didn't know why. I was just like, I don't like to be in the auditorium. Like, it made me upset, like, as a little kid. But now I know is because I felt stuck there, and you weren't allowed to leave until someone was there to come pick you up. So if my mom was running late or whatever, like, she always had to make sure that one of my friend's moms would get me so that I didn't have to go into the auditorium because I just hated that feeling of being stuck rather than, like, going outside. So definitely a lot of separation anxiety. Um, you know, those like 1 a.m. calls to your mom when you're at a sleepover and you can't sleep over because I was just like, I want to be home. I remember literally all the time when I was little, like, I don't know how I'm ever going to go to college. Like, I'm going to have to go to like a local college. There's absolutely no way I'm going to be able to be away from home. So obviously that comfort was like very, very important to me and familiarity. And by the way, like your story is my story and yeah. it truly freaks me out. But do you, Same. do you know why, or like where this fear came from, especially with your mom? So it's so interesting that it was your mom that sort of represented the safety for right. you, which I think so many children can relate to, but do you know where it stemmed from Did something happen that kind of provoked this or it just, that's sort of what you remember happening? I just, I think... I don't know. I mean, obviously, genetically, I'm predisposed to anxiety, depression, all of the wonderful mental health disorders. Right. (laughs) But I don't know if – I don't know. Like, there's nothing specific in my childhood. I think definitely being an only child, my mom obviously, like, I was very catered to. Right. There was never, like, another child that, you know, I, I don't know. I really, I think obviously the genetic predisposition is the biggest thing. Did you have like a specific childhood like trigger? So I I don't know. My parents divorced when I was three or Mm. either three years old or four years old. And so I think going back and forth to my mom and my dad's house triggered it. But I so relate to what you were saying about this intense fear for your mom. And, you know, my sister used, and it was both my sister and I, she used to wait at the window for my mom to come home. If she was 20 minutes late from dinner with a friend, it could trigger this like full freak out. As you remember, like there weren't really cell phones then. There weren't text messages. You know, I also related to the (laughs) 1am phone calls picking me up. But so I think for some people, like there might be a trigger, but for others, you know, there aren't. So I'm curious for you, at what point did you acknowledge this is anxiety versus like, this is just extreme discomfort that I'm feeling? Yeah. Uh, Well, it's so interesting. You say like the, like if she was 20 minutes late, it was like a freak out. It's so wild to me that your brain can like make you freak out over something that literally she could be stuck in traffic. Like, I remember, but it goes like worst case scenario. Right. Exactly. I remember being at one of my friend's houses and my parents were going somewhere and like the service cut out and I was like, oh my gosh, they got in a car accident. Like, and it sounds, and this is another like assumption about anxiety is that people with anxiety are like so dramatic, but it literally is just the process. Like my thought patterns, that's just how they go, which is wild to me. It's so crazy that it's, I don't, I don't know what ingrained it or what, like, obviously my parents didn't like raise me with those types of thought patterns. So it's like, where did they even come from? Especially at such a young age too. Like you were so young. Going back to what you were saying too, I will never, ever forget. So my mom reminded me of Princess Diana, her blonde hair. It was short at the time. Like there was just something about her that really reminded me of her. And I will never forget sitting on the staircase and learning that Princess Diana died in a car accident. Mm. And my immediate panic came through. And I was like, oh my God, what if my mom dies in a car accident? Mm. And even, I don't remember how old I was, maybe like eight years old, seven years old, but that was the first thought that I had. And she was going out to dinner that night. And the entire night I found myself like truly just struggling to 
even people to enjoy anything because I just kept thinking about Princess Diana. Yeah. And again, like I was so young. It's insane. And it's so interesting too. Like, I don't even know how to articulate this or put this into words, but I remember when I was little, like I almost thought this really sounds like I'm a crazy person and I promise I'm not. But when I was little, I literally thought I was like psychic or something because I was like, oh, well, you know, and it was literally just anxiety. Like I was like, right. oh, I know this is going to happen because I got well, these what certain it, there's, feelings. I think it's called like fortune telling, yeah. right? When it's a, if you are making these assumptions, like, oh, I know this is going to happen. Yeah. Like you're in some ways like fortune telling. And that's what we do a it's lot of a, work in CBT. Um, it's a thinking mistake. Have you yes, ever heard of the, exactly. there's like 10 thinking mistakes and it's a thinking mistake, either mind reading when, and this plays into like body image and stuff too. Like if you're quote unquote mind reading, yep. you think that you know what other people are thinking, but it's really just your brain like yes. assuming. And you're making assumptions. Um, but sometimes it like genuinely feels like, am I reading their mind? Which is psychotic. And I understand that. But And so, okay. So We have little Lauren. She is, you know, having separation anxiety, this fear of feeling stuck, you know, not being able to have a sleepover without feeling like you need to go home. Did anything change like in middle school, high school, or even when you went to college? Or did you find that this was sort of like the foundation of your childhood and adolescence? Yeah, I guess middle school was there a little bit, but I feel like it kind of subsided. for the most part. And then high school is really, I was, it changed like the way that it presented itself. It wasn't necessarily as much of like separation anxiety from my mom anymore. It was more, uh, it it started to like turn into panic, um, and just really getting stressed out. I played lacrosse and field hockey in high school and, uh, with lacrosse, I had a lot of pressure on me because in eighth grade, I, I played for the high school team. And then once I was in high school, I was on varsity as a freshman. And that was just like so much was expected of me almost that it felt like a lot of pressure. Uh, and that just overall, that was very overwhelming to me. Whereas for some people, like that might be a motivating factor. It was just a lot of overwhelm. And my junior year, I think that was my first like actual panic attack. I went to a Taylor Swift concert with my friends and I was just standing there. Like I didn't know what I was feeling. Like this was the first time I actually understood like what anxiety was, but I was just standing there like kind of dizzy, like just really this overwhelming feeling of worry for absolutely no reason. I'm like, I just don't understand. I'm just at a concert. This is supposed to be fun. Why am I not enjoying this? Like, and it was the most bizarre feeling. And that night I went home, my parents drove us to the venue and picked us up. So on the way home, I just had a pounding headache. I could not sleep that night. My, and I wasn't even necessarily thinking about anything. I just like, and that's why it's so frustrating when people think anxiety is just like, oh, you know, you just have obsessive thoughts. Like you need to change your thoughts. And yes, that's part of it. But like it was, it's literally a chemical imbalance. Like I didn't talk myself into a panic attack at a Taylor Swift concert. Like my brain was just very overwhelmed. And being that my dad has, you know, basically gone through the same things as I have when he was little and younger, um, I I'm gratefully like very close with my family. And I was like, I just don't know what I was feeling. And he was like, oh, it's probably anxiety. And I was like, huh? Like, what do you mean? That, <laughs> what it is that? feel that way? And uh, yeah, my mom took me to my pediatrician. I saw my first therapist and that was it. Well, not it. Did you but. find that it like, <laughs> not it, not it, but did you find that like it clicks for you? Like, okay, like there is actually a name to how I'm feeling. Yeah, kind of. Like I I did, but also like, I was like, I still, I don't understand, like, what am I supposed to do about this? Like other people don't feel this way. Why do I feel this way? Kind of. Right. Yeah. I, I, I completely get that. Yeah. And so seeing a therapist and kind of like understanding that you have this, you know, mental health condition, what changed, if anything, from that point? I guess. So... 
I start, I started seeing a therapist who my first therapist honestly was not the most helpful. Um, so I just kind of like didn't really believe in therapy because I was like, this is dumb. I just sit there like and talk. And most of the time I have nothing to talk about. Uh, because I'm a very type A checklist type of person and I need actionable steps. Like I need someone to tell me what to do. Uh, and I think some p- therapists are that way, but also they're starting to be more like psychologists and just like therapists who do more of like a coaching type thing, which I think is great because you can come with like, okay, I had this situation. It's like, okay, well, we're going to go and we're going to do this. I like need something to practice and something like tangible. Um, Yes. And I think that's part of just like a type A personality and just whatever it is. So she wasn't the most helpful. And then from there, I went on to college like I never thought that I would. And I was, you know, slightly held back in my decisions for college in the sense that, like, I didn't want to be too far. Like, my parents both went to FSU, and, like, I definitely could have gone there for a stellar price. But um, I was like, I, there's absolutely no way I'm going that way, that far away from home. So um, Delaware was like the perfect, because I really wanted a Southern like feel, which honestly Delaware like kind of was that for me, which was interesting. I also thought there would be more like tailgating and football stuff, but that unfortunately was not the case, but it got me to go there. And from there, I literally spiraled my freshman year. I was so excited for college in the beginning. I was I was definitely nervous, but the first like few months were fine and then Thanksgiving, so I guess like 3 or 4 months into freshman year, I started having horrible insomnia. Some nights I would lay awake until 6 a.m. Like it was horrible. I was just staring at the ceiling at my wall in my dorm room and I think one component of that is just being in the same place all the time, aka dorm, nowhere to like go if you can't sleep, you can't go downstairs and watch TV on your couch. Like you are stuck. I felt stuck essentially in this room. Uh, And freshman year for me was really, really tough. I didn't know if I was going to go back. Um, But I had an amazing roommate who is still my best friend. And yeah, And so where are you today? Yeah. So when it comes to your mental health. It's interesting. So I guess I didn't really, but there's, there's so much here. I like forget, but also I will never forget. Um, Like freshman year. So at Delaware, we have a really long winter break. So at one point I literally, when I couldn't sleep, obviously my anxiety was so much worse because I couldn't sleep because I was, and then I would freak out every night because I'm like, well, I I hate the nighttime because all I do is lay there and lay awake. And then I wake up with more anxiety because am I going to sleep the next night? Plus not sleeping obviously makes anxiety worse. So I, thankfully it was like right around Thanksgiving and my professors were pretty understanding. So they let me take finals early and whatnot. So I ended up going home for Thanksgiving for at least a full week or two. Uh, And being home, it's just crazy. Like being home, everything goes away. I'm like completely back to normal, no anxiety whatsoever. The only anxiety I would have is the thought of going back to school and being away from home. So that's always was very interesting. And one night, like I just literally broke down and my parents were like, you were worried about you. So my dad came down and got a hotel and I stayed there, slept like a baby. It's so crazy how the brain works. So literally, it was still in Delaware, but my dad was there, and I wasn't in my dorm room, and I slept completely fine. Isn't that incredible? Like, it's ridiculous. Like, how is that a thing? <laughs> it's so crazy. But it's, it's again, it's like that safety, right? right. Like, you right. felt safe with him. You felt like right. as long as he was there, like, you were going to be okay. Exactly. So I ended up going home for Thanksgiving, came back for finals for, like, a week or two, and then we were off for like literally two months. So I just spent those two months enjoying my time at home and seeing a new therapist who was so, so helpful for me. And then when I went back, sorority recruitment started. So that was another big stressor because not necessarily the recruitment process, but being stuck in a room, right? So like feeling like you had to be in a room and you couldn't leave. And like, obviously I know that I can leave, but 
what am I going to do in the middle of a conversation? Oh, hold on. Like I got to, you know, I, it just made me so uncomfortable. So, and then I'll never forget some girl fainted next to me when I'm talking. Oh God, that's all you need. Great. Okay. Am I going to faint now? You know, all, all the thoughts. So yeah. So then I eventually was in, and I don't think it helped that I went into college with a boyfriend who was still living at home. So that was definitely a big piece too. Um, and then I was like way too excited for summer to come and be home. And I just thought I was like this anomaly. Cause I was like, why is everyone having the best college experience? And I'm here. Like mm-hmm. all I want to do is go home. Right. So fast forward to now I made it through college. My junior and senior year were amazing. And the second half, well, I had a concussion then, but my junior and senior year were amazing. And, uh, Actually, this story is so long. I don't even like, I don't even I, I almost sum it think up. like eventually we'll even do like our own episodes devoted yeah. to this. Yeah. Because there is so much to unpack. Like there really is. There's so much. And like, I always think if I ever get a new therapist, I'm like, I don't, it's going to take me like four sessions to explain my history. <laughs> to even just like unpack everything. Yes. Okay. So where mm. I am now on medication, which is a beautiful thing. Anytime that like change arises in my life, it causes anxiety just for unfamiliarity, I think. I do meditations and things that try and help me with like, okay, change is a good thing. Like it means growth. It means all these things, blah, blah, blah. But still like my brain chemically is just like, no, we don't like it. So I ended up going on medication actually my junior year because I had overwhelming anxiety with like even something as simple as like a presentation. Like, yeah, I I understand that most people get a lot of people get nervous with like a presentation and stuff. But like for me, it was so overwhelming that I would like black out when I was presenting. <laughs> so I ended up going on medication um, the end of my junior year. And it was so helpful because I was having panic attacks. So it keeps manifesting in like different ways, right? So I was having panic attacks in restaurants. So this was a new way for it to manifest. And that was mostly because, again, it's all coming from that same place of like feeling stuck, but in a different way. So restaurants, buses, anywhere I'm not driving. Subways. Subways. Yeah. I mean, I've had panic attacks on dates. And let me tell you, that is not fun. Oh my gosh. I can't even. (laughs) Explaining to a stranger why you have to run to the bathroom. Yep. But it sounds like you've, you've been able to really manage, like you accept it, you understand it more. And it sounds like you've, you really have gotten the help that you need, whether it's through therapy, medication, meditation, um, all these other things. Yeah. And I think that's honestly one of the affirmations that helps me is like, I acknowledge that I'm having anxiety. I acknowledge that I'm feeling this. It's uncomfortable. I don't like it, but nothing's going to happen, right? Like most of the time, the anxious thoughts are like, again, like drawing those conclusions, but Mm -hmm. like accepting the feeling and like just acknowledging that it's happening, but, and it's uncomfortable and you don't like it, but I accept it. Right. Um, I think is really important. So yeah. I... I'm I'm like honestly speechless because no, it's not even that it's a lot. It's more just how similar our stories are. It's it's honestly so weird. I didn't even realize to the extent at which our stories were as similar as they are. Yeah, me either. Wait, so you start from your beginning. So I kind of see my mental health story in like four parts. So like younger Brittany, college years, post-college, and now. And so similarly to you, which, you know, I described earlier, I started experiencing symptoms of anxiety as early as like six, seven, and eight, but I didn't know what it was. I remember like laying in bed. I remember feeling like so uncomfortable and feeling so anxious about my mom and, you know, having to go on vacation. I've said no to school trips because I, you know, I felt so anxious. There was always a sense of dread. The amount of times I made my mom pick me up from day camp because I like quote unquote was sick, but really it was just, I, you know, yeah. I just was feeling a ton of anxiety and I, I didn't know what it felt like. So it did feel like sickness in many ways. I ended up going to sleepaway camp for seven summers and like the months leading up to camp, I would have crippling anxiety and I would lose my appetite for several days leading up to camp. And this is where it's so interesting where nutrition and mental health blend. So of course, like when we're stressed, we have 
our fight or flight survival is activated. Blood is often like diverted away from the digestive system and like sort of shunted to your extremities. And your body doesn't know that you're feeling anxious because you're going to camp or if you're running away from a lion, it just knows that something's going on. And so I stopped having hunger cues. I physically couldn't eat. Around that time too, like in childhood, I noticed that I had a lot of health anxiety, a lot of fear of brain aneurysms and strokes and dying. A headache would like set me into a spiral. And again, like I didn't have any traumatic events that triggered this, but um, I just always felt so concerned for my health. And then similar to it, you know, Lauren was saying, you were saying, this idea of like feeling stuck, like even though I know I could leave, I felt so fearful to go to Hershey Park during camp. I felt fearful to go to camp and vacations with friends. I had to say no to go with them and their families because I felt so, you know, anxious of feeling stuck there and not being able to go home. Um, One specific situation that like really created a lot of shame and judgment for me happened actually when I was in high school. So I had planned to go to Hawaii on some type of summer program with my best friend at the time. And for a few months leading up to it, I felt a lot of overwhelming concerns. I was like, I'm going to be so far away from home. This is probably the furthest I've ever been away. And, you know, what am I going to do if I want to go home? So the day that we actually went to the airport to leave, I had a horrible panic attack and I felt like I was going to die on the flight. And so I went up to the group, like the trip leader, and I was like, I can't go. Like I, I was sobbing hysterically, uncontrollably. He called my mom my mom was on her way back from the airport, like back to New York City, and she had to physically turn around and come get me. And it was really like shameful because I'm like, I couldn't even get on a plane to go to Hawaii, which is supposed to like how, first of all, how lucky am I that I right. could go to Hawaii? Like it felt so privileged, but that just showed you how, you know, my mental health and like my anxiety in particular, like really just took control of my life. And so I didn't go. My friend was obviously very upset at the time um, because she ends up going by herself. But so that kind of happened. And again, I didn't really know that it was panic disorder, anxiety. And then in college, I started to get a better understanding of my anxiety. And so it was the same feelings of feeling trapped. Similar to you, I chose to go somewhere close to home. I went to Lehigh. It was about an hour and a half away. And on the day that my mom dropped me off, I had a panic attack and she had Ativan with her, which is like an anti-anxiety medication because she knew that I probably was going to have a difficult time. So again, my appetite went for a few weeks. Just the idea of change is really difficult for me, even if it's good change. So the fact that I went from New York City to all of a sudden I'm on this campus. I don't have a car. I don't really know how to drive a car, even if I did have access to a car. And although I could take a bus home, it just felt like I was being trapped. And so freshman year, again, I had a really tough adjustment. And although I had friends and again, similar to you, I had a roommate who was amazing and I would have transferred. Shout out to Carly. She's still my best friend. Had she not have been there. But I just, you know, and we're going to have a whole other conversation with alcohol, but, and I'm curious if you find this to be the case too, but alcohol used to give me, um, I I hate saying give me anxiety because like, it's not like, but for lack of a better way of saying it, it did give me anxiety. And I did not like the feeling of feeling out of control. Like, did you ever feel that way with alcohol where you were afraid to drink? Yeah. I literally would never drink. And I, and that was a big anxiety trigger for me too, because it's like, well, I'm not going to go to these parties and like not drink. And right. not to mention the anxiety that happens after drinking too the next yeah. day. Oh my God, that's so, a whole other topic. Yeah, it was really, I think it was a, the worry of like feeling out of control, but also feeling like it would just rock me in a, in the teeniest bit of a way. And anything that was off of how I normally felt would like trigger me into some sort of anxiety. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and that's how most panic attacks, at least for me, start. It's like, all I have to feel is like slightly off. Like I feel a little dizzy or experience pain. And for me with alcohol, what also I found, you know, difficult was when other people were drunk and they were intoxicated. And then I'm like, well, how am I going to get to a hospital if I need someone to drive me? Or how am I going to get... And then again, I felt stuck. Yep. 
A hundred percent. So to make sort of matters even more complicated, I don't even know if I told you this, but at age 19, I was told that I had a congenital heart condition. So, you know, looking back, I always had health anxiety and all of a sudden, like my health anxiety turned into a real Mm. true health condition. So I was essentially born with nine small holes in my heart. My doctor said it resembled Swiss cheese. And it was the type of condition that didn't need to be rectified immediately, but it went, you know, undiagnosed or I didn't get surgery. Like some people do get strokes in their 30s and 40s. And that's usually how it is later diagnosed. So I felt like at that point, all the health fears that I had were coming alive and it was terrifying. Wow. So that right there started a whole new wave of um, anxiety for me. And that's actually when I started going to cognitive behavioral therapy. It's called CBT. Um, I had been through like normal therapy, but CBT was really helpful for reframes for my anxiety and my panic. And so at that point, like I would say my anxiety was the highest it had ever been. And I was terrified of returning to school. Sophomore year was hard. It was the first year in a sorority. Everyone was in party mode. I was on blood thinners. Mm -hmm. And so I was not given the option to drink, even though I probably wouldn't have anyway. Just being around such a party atmosphere was just not great for my mental health overall. I ended up surviving sophomore, junior year, but then abroad came and again, that was too overwhelming for me. So I did not go abroad. Me either. That was you way too either. overwhelming for me. And it was hard because it's like all your friends are going abroad. Right. And I was like, there's just absolutely no way. And honestly, my anxiety was so crippling that I didn't even have the desire because I was like, I know that I just won't even enjoy it. Right. So good for you though, for deciding that early on, because me not deciding actually created more anxiety. And there was one point I'm like, I'm going to go to Florence. Like I'm going to do this. And my best guy friend at the time, he DM me or not DM me. He BBM'd me, whatever (laughs) lingo was with blackberries. And he's like, yo, like, did you go to get your Italian visa yet? And I, I basically had him left on red for like six weeks of summer. I just did not respond. My God. Because I'm like, I don't even know if I'm going abroad. And my therapist at the time was like, Brittany, like I'm all for you growing as a person and really challenging yourself. But this seems like a really big challenge. And I don't know if it's going to benefit you in the long run. That kind of brings up another point of like exposure therapy. Yes. I think that was always something that was helpful for me. Obviously like very scary, but that was something my therapist always said to me. She's like, I know that these things are scary for you, but you continue to do them. And I think that's a huge piece of like my healing journey is like never allowing myself to like actually say no. And to an extent, right? Like obviously I'm not going to force myself to go abroad for three months, but like I'm going to get on a bus and I'm going to deal with it. Like 100%. And I think exposure therapy is so helpful. But when the exposure is, again, so overwhelming in the case for both of us for abroad, like that is no longer productive. It actually becomes more harmful. Right. So I felt like my anxiety was okay, like junior, senior year. And then post-college, my anxiety would ebb and flow. There were certain situations that stuck out to me. And most of my anxiety really does come around this idea of health. And so not to get too TMI and too into detail, but I actually had a situation with my menstrual cycle where I hemorrhaged and I ended up having to get a blood transfusion and two iron infusions. I mean, that is me being very detailed. (laughs) I love how I'm like, I'm not gonna be detailed. I'm like, that is as detailed as you get. All about detail. But the point is that set off more anxiety and I think because I felt so connected to my body, that is where my anxiety actually helped because I was able to pick up really quickly, like, wow, I feel lightheaded. I don't feel myself. My hemoglobin dropped um, to seven at that point. And so I I felt that, but the problem with that was then anytime I felt off, I attribute it to a health condition or a health issue. So, you know, after all of that, I would say... I'm, I'm kind of like going through, I have so many notes, but I'm, I'm not even going to get into this. This will be another episode for another time. But I wanted to talk about medication because medication is something that we could literally I- literally do a whole episode on it. We could do a whole other episode on it. Yeah. Medication is something that I 
was actively against for a really long time. And part of me didn't want to take it because I was fearful of how it would make me feel. I was fearful of taking medication. So even Advil, even Advil. Oh, same, same. NyQuil. Like I would literally be like, oh, I don't want it to make me feel dizzy or weird or like off. Right. And side note, another like a perk of anxiety is that you, I'm so self-aware because of so it. self-aware, <laughs> which is like <laughs> a, good, a blessing and a curse. Yes. <laughs> but I think it does help in certain areas of my life. But yeah, 100%. I was afraid of anything that I put in my mouth. Yes. So I, so that was like half the battle is like, I'm terrified that something will happen to me if I were to take this medication. Of course, it is not rooted in any validity, any science, but that is what my mind was telling me. So for a really long time, I didn't go on it. My every single time I went to my therapist, she's like, are you sure? Are you sure? She was a psychiatrist. So she did prescribe medication and it got to the point. Oh, another thing that I also wanted to mention too, is I also, when I was really deep in my disordered eating or maybe eating disorder, I don't know how to label it, but I was really fearful of weight gain. And so I feared that going on some type of anti-anxiety medication would cause weight gain, which in hindsight makes me really sad because I was struggling so much and I was willing to put my body and how my body looked over my own mental health, which I think is something that people do quite often. And so like looking back, like that definitely makes me sad to think that I would choose to not help myself if it meant weight gain. And I didn't even end up really gaining weight on it, but that's whatever. There were certain instances where I was like, okay, maybe medication's for me, maybe it's not for me. But as you said, it goes back to brain chemistry. You could do as much CBT in the world. You can do meditation. You can do all these things. But at the end of the day, like it's your brain chemistry. And that's what I really finally understood. When I was in graduate school, my panic disorder was consuming. I had five to seven panic attacks a day. It made me feel, I started to feel really negative. And I think that's when I turned the corner because I did not want to be around myself. I heard myself speaking to friends. I'm like, this is so not me. Like I'm not a negative person. And yet everything that came out of my mouth was negative. And I started to feel like depressed and just anxious. So that's when I knew I'm like, okay, if I'm going to start clinical rotations at this hospital, which is going to be anxiety provoking, which I would love to hear your thoughts on, I need to get this under control. And so I ended up starting on a low dose and I went up on my dosage and I truly cannot explain how it's changed my life. And of course, I want to preface like medication is a very individualized decision. For me, I, I'm a different person and I feel like I'm finally myself again. And I, after not feeling like myself for years, like I feel like I finally came home to who I am. 100%. Oh, so beautiful. <laughs> it's true though. Yeah. And so, you know, I will say the combination of CBT and my medication basically allowed me to live life again. I can travel. It helped me have a better relationship with food in my body. It helped me to be a better friend, a better partner, a better sister, a better daughter, because I finally was able to be me. When you're so anxious and your anxious brain is taking hold, it is so challenging to be present, right? It's similar to like when you're on a diet and you can't be present. When your mental health is struggling, which so often it does too when you're dieting, and there will be a whole other episode devoted to this topic. But when your mental health is struggling, it's so hard to be present. You're constantly thinking about the future or, you know, the past. And so I always say like, if you're struggling and you're on the fence for medication, I know it's often stigmatized, but you have to make the decision for you, but I, I truly, I can't speak enough about it. it. It's changed my life in so many ways. And CBT, like my therapist, shout out to Rebecca Hand uh-huh. and Brooke Fishman. They're CBT geniuses and I owe them everything as well. Yeah. That's, it's so wild what medication can do. It just, it's a light switch. Yeah. That's the best way to describe it. And there is so much stigma around it in the sense of like, oh, it can make you feel like a zombie or not yourself. Like, no, it actually just makes me more myself. Yes, 100%. Growing up, like I had my own beliefs about it. Like, oh, it's going to make me feel weird. I don't want to like alter anything, you know. But also my parents wanted me not in a bad way. They just wanted 
me to see that, like, I could get through it without it kind of thing. Because yeah. obviously as a parent, like, you worry about substance abuse and all that kind of 100%. stuff. So, and again, just with the stigma, I think they were worried about it, right? And my mom was definitely worried, like, I don't want you to, like, not be yourself and whatever. And then I got to a point where I was like, I am getting older, like, people aren't going to just, like, hold my hand anymore. I need to be able to, like, live life myself. It's been definitely just so helpful. I also think for both of us, we tried different avenues. And so I'm all about, you know, going to therapy first, trying meditation, self-talk, all of those things. I think they're so important and useful. But at the end of the day, it's like you're not going to fix a broken bone by putting a Band-Aid on it. And so, you know, in order to really heal and to help brain chemistry, like that's where I finally knew like, okay, I need additional help. And it took me over a decade to get there, to feel ready, to feel at a position where I'm like, I can't do this anymore. Like this is, you know, it's just not a way to live life. I finally made the decision and it's, it's been great. Yeah. And I, I was just going to say, like, I do want to acknowledge for both of us, you know, There is so much privilege here in the sense that therapy is expensive. Finding a physician who can provide, you know, medication and diagnoses. And so I'm I'm truly grateful to have that, but I know that it's not the case for so many who are struggling. And I think it's wonderful that there are other alternatives to therapy. Um, I don't know the the specific apps, but there and providers that accept insurance and all these things, but it definitely is a privilege to be able to get help that you need. Yeah. It's, I'm not sure if your therapist take insurance or not, but my therapist that changed my life did not take insurance. Yeah. And that's a definitely lot a privilege. Uh, it's just really unfortunate that I honestly, and if you're a provider that takes insurance and you've changed lives, let us know because right. I never found one, unfortunately. And I, I actually think that goes with eating disorders as well. It's it's hard to get the proper treatment and the providers are just, there aren't enough, right? right? So I actually reached out to a few mental health professionals on behalf of my my clients and I the responses I received back was like, I'm so sorry, but due to the pandemic, like I'm fully at my capacity. And there are so many people that could use the help. Right. And not blaming the providers in any way. That oh my God, absolutely not. Just in the sense that I don't know how I would possibly run a business, have endless clients every single day, take insurance and still give everything to my clients. Also, like now I mostly just do group coaching and I have so much more time to like, if somebody's struggling with something, I can do all of the research that I possibly need to make sure that they get the right answer that they need to. 100%. Whereas if I was seeing 10, 15, yes. up to 20 clients a day, there's absolutely no time on top of everything that needs to be done in terms of running your own business that I would be able to give them everything they needed. It's so true. And that's where I think healthcare fails. There are so many changes that need to be made. I don't even, I mean, obviously I don't have the right answers because it's a really complicated situation, but I will, if you're a health provider that's listening to this, like, thank you for all that you're doing because it's a lot, regardless if you're taking insurance or not, and you're helping so many. It is a lot, but it's rewarding. So you know, Lauren, is there anything else that you want to add regarding mental health? And I mean, I could literally talk about this all day, even just from <laughs> this episode. the food therapy yeah, podcast. Exactly. I think we need to do an episode on medication. I had, I literally remember sitting in the Delaware gym, like texting one of my friends who I knew struggled with anxiety, just being like, well, what if it doesn't work? Then right. And then I feel more stuck because I'm like, okay, so I have to live like this the rest of my life. Right. And then she, I just remember her saying like, there's always another option. And I was like, is there though? Like, and I just right. got in my head about it. So I think we definitely need to do an episode on medication. Yeah. yeah. I would love to do an episode even just on like college anxiety. I mean, yeah. like, Ugh. and just like the different stages. Like I could talk about my college versus my high school anxiety. They're all so different. They really are. And then like real adulting anxiety is like a whole new thing. (laughs) 100%. And what I will say is the medication doesn't make the anxiety go away. It makes it more 
bearable. So it's not like I, I am free of generalized anxiety. It's more so my brain chemistry is altered where I'm able to handle more stressful situations. My baseline is much, much lower, which means that I'm having way less panic attacks. I can't even tell you the last time I had one, but it hasn't been in a while. When you're, I remember my therapist said like, when your anxiety is at an all-time high, you were much more prone to getting panic attacks. Yep. And when your anxiety is much lower, the threshold changes. And so you're more likely, or I should say you're less likely to get one. That's exactly what, uh, like I was telling you before, how I just got back from my trip from California and it was amazing, but my threshold was definitely a lot higher being in an unfamiliar place. So add a couple of alcoholic drinks to the mix and, oh, oh, perfect recipe for a wonderful panic attack that is amazing feeling. But but what's so awesome about that is the fact that this could still happen and you have the tools. Like you right. know what's happening, you know you will be okay. It's a familiar feeling. It sucks. It's so uncomfortable, but I think the first panic attack is probably the scariest just because you're like I'm am I having a heart attack? Like right. what is this? It's it's really really scary. Yeah, my first one I think I I was like what is I actually don't even remember what I thought, but I definitely thought I had like some sort of health condition with my heart or something because it is the most bizarre feeling. And now I'm just like, I hate this. Why is this happening again? Right. Like riding the wave. (laughs) Yeah. When is this going to end? And also when you're in it, you don't believe that it's going to end. Like I still don't believe that it's going to – I tell myself, this is temporary. This will pass. I don't believe it in the moment, which is so bizarre because I have proof obviously that it does. But – Again, a whole we can do a whole other episode on just panic a whole other episode. Yeah, I mean, I'm I think I'm trying to think of like the last panic attack I had, but I feel like now I'm able to talk myself down because, and the whole point of CBT, at least with the work that I did, was stopping the thought pattern from going so far because once you let it spiral, that's when the panic really happens. But if you can just stop the thought where it is and be like, no, like this is not true or, you know, you've had this before and you're able to really stop it from spiraling. I found that to be really helpful. Yeah. And also with food, right? With food and body image. If you can stop a thought where it is, it's not going to spiral out of control. Right. And I think that's why it was more difficult for me when I'm away because I, I don't, my brain almost doesn't have evidence, right? So it's like, Mm. I've never been in this place, in this situation. I felt this before. I've felt the need to like go home and not want to, and like be in a familiar place, but I haven't been in this place, in this situation. So I don't have proof that it's going to be okay. Makes complete sense. Where in California were you? San Diego. San Diego. I haven't been. Oh, it was literally beautiful. But yeah, yeah, I plan to do a post on that because all of my pictures and everything, it was amazing. It was beautiful. Like it was really just like my first day there. I was like, my body was like, where are you? Why aren't you home? Like that actually. So, and I'm, I'm sure we're wrapping this up, but this actually just brought me to another quick story. When I was in Mexico for spring break, I had the exact same feeling. I felt stuck. I was on the phone with my therapist. Imagine this. I'm in a villa with all of my best friends in college, like the people that I have the most fun with. And I am having panic attack after panic attack. And I called my therapist and I almost went home. Something changed in my brain where I was like, I'm going to be okay. And then I ended up raking MVP of spring break. I had the best time. (laughs) Oh my God. It just made me think of that because like the first few days of being in an unknown place, like I, how am I going to get home? You know, it can be really overwhelming. And so I love what you said too. Like when you don't have the evidence that things will be okay, it can be, you know, a bit more challenging. Yeah. Like the exposure therapy on top of medication of me, like when I was really having a lot of panic attacks in a restaurant, I can now recount all the times that I've had a panic attack in a restaurant and I'm okay. You know, whereas like I could never recount when I was randomly in San Diego with these people at this place, you know, like my brain can't recount that. My brain's like, this is unfamiliar. And you're putting me, your brain thinks, well, at least my anxiety brain thinks I'm putting it in danger. Yeah. I'm literally so shook at how similar our anxiety is. No, it's like really weird. The mom, I'm most surprised by like the separation anxiety, the mom piece, yeah. the feeling of being stuck. Like I haven't really heard of anyone else feeling no. stuck in that way. Me either. Like I've heard of like people who are like 
severely claustrophobic or like have anxiety about like events or like big things or whatever. Right. Or but, health like, is yeah, a big health. one. Yeah, but this is literally all that's crazy. Like I always think about, I'm like, I want to go on a African safari, but like my headspace needs to be in such a good place for me to be able to do that because that will be a hurdle for me. A huge hurdle. The yeah. flight, the like, you know how it's like, oh, I'm safe, I'm safe, but like am I safe? Like, I don't know. Right. right. It's, it always comes down to, for me, it's like being close to healthcare. I know that might sound weird, but being close to a hospital, being close to a doctor. And so the idea of like being in a jungle, which might sound incredible for someone would be a challenge for me. And not saying that I don't want to try it sometime, but it's, it's not going to be as seamless as someone else who doesn't struggle with the same Yes. It's funny because I just, I love going out to Montauk and I just recently learned that the closest hospital, I think it's like East or West Hampton. No. And I was like, no. And that's probably like, well, like a 45 minute hour drive. Yeah. I'm like, how do people have children out here? Like, but that goes to show you where you've come because you have been going there and you didn't know until recently. Right. I know. So that shows you how far your anxiety has come. And look at me. <laughs> well, this has been incredible. And I feel like there will be plenty more episodes talking about mental health, something that the two of us are just so passionate about. And if you have a similar experience or if whatever Laura and I said resonates with you, like, please let us know. We would love to hear your feedback and to hear your stories because we know that mental health can be so taboo. We know medication and anxiety can be difficult to talk about. And it's so hard to find people. You're literally the first person I've ever talked to who has had the same experience. Same. It's so weird. But it feels really good, honestly. I know. (laughs) And honestly, kind of just like validating. Because it's like, okay. Because it can feel really isolating and feel really lonely and shameful, right? It's like, what's wrong with me that I can't do these really simple things? But there's nothing wrong with us. And... You know, it's all about that growth mindset. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So thank you so much for listening, and we will see you soon. Can't wait for the next episode. It's going to be similar, but even better. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Food Therapy. If you enjoyed what you heard and want to support our podcast, please subscribe, hit download, and share it with your community. We value your feedback. If you feel inspired, please leave a review, let us know what you've learned and what you would like to hear next. All information about this episode will be linked in our show notes. New episodes of Food Therapy come out every Sunday, but you can stay connected with Food Therapy all week long by following us on Instagram at foodtherapypod. As a disclaimer, this podcast should not replace therapy or working with a registered dietitian. Thank you again, and we'll see you next week.